Matter Podcast. My name is John Harris. Today is the day for you Southern Baptists that we share the episode you have been waiting for. What happened to Al Mohler? What happened to Al Mohler? Um, Mohler has been known as the champion of conservative causes, and now there are many who are conservative, both in their political persuasion and their biblical persuasion on their theology, who wonder where he's really at. They have to ask the question, is he an opportunist? Is he still a conservative, but he's just choosing for strategic purposes not to engage in certain battles? Um, is he um, is he actually a liberal in some ways, but he's been posing as a conservative? These options have all been proposed. And I'm going to give you uh, what I think is going on. But I want to bring you through a whole lot of information before we do it. And I have a few thoughts to share with you, preliminary thoughts that I think are very important for this. Number one, we've been talking the last few days about critical race theory on this podcast, and that is by design. There's a reason that we went over Jarvis Williams as well and showed how in his theology of racial reconciliation, every single one of Richard Delgado's seven principles for critical race theory um, is included. There's a reason we went over Latasha Morrison's book, uh, Be the Bridge, and showed how that was critical race theory. Hopefully by now, uh, if you've been paying attention and listening, you kind of know what critical race theory is. And you know the, the basic two categories that all those seven principles break down into. You have the idea that racism is normative, embedded, systemic. The reason you're not seeing it is because you just don't have the special glasses. It's there. This is the Marxist concept uh, that there are definite uh, categories of oppressed and oppressor and the relationships between them when they interact uh, result in oppression of some kind. And then you have the postmodern element, the idea that there are these standpoints of oppression, these social locations that have access to greater revelation. They have truth that if you're in quote unquote majority culture, you don't have access to. And therefore, your job is to just listen and, and not to talk, but to listen to those who have this wisdom by nature of their social location. And they're going to help you navigate this racism that's out there, identify it and then dispel it. Now, the, all the other seven principles come out of these two basic categories. That's one thing. Keep in mind as we go through this. The second thing uh, is that a tendency I've noticed in the Southern Baptist Convention is when you rattle the cage a little bit, if you just expose things that are publicly available and you try to come up with a paradigm that makes sense of them, um, you are called a liar, your motives are impugned, you might be called a racist or... Depending on the subject, maybe you're called a, a sexist or something else, but um, ad hominem is the go-to response whenever someone in the Southern Baptist Convention who has a public profile is um, either attacked or uh, on a, in a milder way, uh, just try, someone is trying to just understand them um, and comes to a conclusion that's no, not so desirable for that person. And that's what I'm doing. I have a lot of respect for Albert Moeller. I should say I did have a lot of respect for Albert Moeller. Uh, years ago, I would read his books. I listened to his podcast. One of the reasons I went to a Southern Baptist school was because of him. That respect is gone at this point. And I know I've made some videos in the last few years where I've said I still have some respect. And you've probably seen a trajectory with me where I've, been, I've tried to be careful. I, I had a suspicion that... Um, he was an opportunist and perhaps more on the liberal side, but I did not want to believe that. And I've come to that conclusion. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you why I've come to that conclusion. But here's my challenge. For those listening who might not be persuaded yet, here's my challenge to you. And I want you to listen very carefully before we outline all the facts. You have to make sense of the publicly available information. That's a constant. That's just something that you have to grapple with. It's part of the objective reality that we live in. Moeller has said some things. Some of the things are very contradictory. Some of the things are very concerning. I'm going to show you some of those things that um, I could see someone accusing him of false teaching as a result of some of the things I'm going to show you. You have to grapple with those things. Now, if you come up with a paradigm that makes sense of them, and you say, oh, I, I see where Moeller's going here. He is a conservative, and this is what he's doing. And you can make sense of them. Fine, but you need to grapple with the information out there. And that's what I've struggled with, and I've spent a lot of time doing it. And 
my conclusion is I don't think you can come to that kind of a conclusion. But if you're if you want to make the attempt, grapple with the facts. There's no reason to accuse me or anyone else of lying. Um, you, you'll see that everything is very well documented. In fact, uh, I'm going to have a link at the end if you want to um, uh, uh, see more documentation on this chapter and verse. It'll be available and it's locked tight. It's it's just you, you can't argue with the facts that I'm going to present. Now, if you want to argue with the paradigm, go ahead, but you're going to have to make sense of those facts. So I'm overstating the case here, but I just know the tendency in the Southern Baptist Convention. So I need to say that up front. Now, uh, the last thing I'll mention is that this is important. Al Mohler, as many of you know, is the president of the flagship seminary for the convention, and he is running for president right now, uh, at least last I heard, of the Southern Baptist Convention. This is an important election coming up in June. And if Al Mohler wins um, and he continues the way that he has um, been overseeing the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he's the president, it spells, I think, the end of the Southern Baptist Convention as we know it. We need stage four chemo at this point. If, if you're going to recover the convention, that's what you're going to need. And Al Mohler has proven himself that, that he has, in the positions he's had, He's not been faithful in the little things, so how can he be faithful in much? So that's my um, that's my little preliminary spiel that I want everyone to just be aware of before we get into this. But we are going to get into it. There's a lot of information. I'm going to show you some video clips. I'm going to read for you some quotes, and I'm going to try to make sense of what we see. Now, there are, in some ways, two Al Molers. Uh, at least, I think that's why there's confusion to some people, is they see two Al Molers, and they don't know how to reconcile the two. You have one Al Mohler who is against critical race theory. And I've po posted, if you're watching, some examples of this. One is from uh, 2019, two are from 2020. He endorses Owen Strand's um, articles against critical race theory. And, and they're more abstract and they're more simple. You know, they, there's no naming of names, which I know Mohler seems to be more comfortable with that because in the other two instances, again, he does not name names. Um, he put out after Resolution 9 was passed, uh, which endorsed critical race theory as an analytical tool, uh, he put out a briefing where he um, targeted critical race theory. Now, many of you will remember, he never said anything at the convention, and he was there. Uh, he never did anything to prevent the passage of Resolution 9, really, other than at least what we know of, is he sent a text to Tom Askell. But after it was passed already, he attacked it. But again, more in the abstract. He does not name names uh, other than... When he names the resolutions committee, it's just to appreciate them. Again, um, he in 2020, at the end of 2020, uh, another statement was put out that Danny Aiken says was encouraged by Al Mohler, at least he insinuates that, where the seminary presidents affirm the Baptist faith and message and declare critical race theory incompatible with that message. Now, again, very simple and very abstract. Does not deal with the issues in his own backyard. He never really has that I can tell. I can't find it. Um, it's, it's never directly dealing with the concerns people have about certain professors or teachings that are specifically coming from members of faculty uh, at his seminary and others. Instead, he just kind of this nameless, faceless idea of critical race theory, he'll attack that. So when you hear those things, or when you see him interviewing someone like a James Lindsay, it seems like he's against critical race theory, and uh, and and maybe he is on an abstract level, and that's what has some people thinking. I believe that Al Mohler is conservative on these things, and I'll blow this up. You can see here the three um, tweets that I included here. However, there is another side to Al Mohler, and you need to be aware of this. Uh, and I'm going to just walk you through a few things. Number one, he defends the resolutions committee that passed Resolution 9, that crafted it. He says that um, he appreciated them uh, talking about Resolution 9, and it's the right tone, he said. Tone is very important to evangelicals right now for some reason. Truth, not quite as much, but tone is. He said, I am sure it is released in good faith. And he posted this, and I went over this at the time and showed you how they never answered any of the specific challenges to Resolution 9. In fact, what they did is they just rehashed Resolution 9 again. Because Resolution 9 is, well, you know, 
you can use these analytical tools as long as they're subservient to scripture, which we know is not really possible. Uh, the tools bring with them the underlying assumptions, and they're not tools like logic or math uh, that are part of the fabric of reality and fundamental to reality. They are tools that exist in the minds of sociologists who are start who, who their starting point is an atheist, <laughs> well, at least a secular conception of reality without the revelation in the scripture at the very least. And, and so they rehash that again and say, well, we're against it. We, you know, we regret kind of the, the controversy this has caused. We're against critical race theory, but they rehash and they never really address the fact that they endorsed it as an analytical tool. And now Mueller appreciates them. So he defends on some level the resolutions committee, though they never really did anything to undo the damage that they did. He also... Um, this is important. This is before Resolution 9, but he hired Curtis Woods. The reason I bring this up, and I'm not bringing up Matthew Hall or Jarvis Williams because I don't know the stories there, but Curtis Woods did a dissertation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and here's a quote from the abstract, which is on their website. Chapter 3 assesses uh, Wheatley, who he was doing his dissertation on, Phyllis Wheatley, her critique of exemplary or open American exceptionalism through the lens of chattel slavery. Critical race theory becomes the analytical lens to understand the intersection of religion, race, class, and gender on Wheatley sociopolitical imagination. Now, this is posted on their website. It is from a gentleman who, um, for a while, uh, was at the seminary as a professor and headed up the resolutions committee that passed Resolution 9 while he was a professor. And he was hired in the first place, though this was his dissertation. This was signed off somehow. This was approved somehow. So, I, you know, maybe you could say Mueller had an off day. He didn't realize what was in his dissertation, which to me would be kind of concerning. But um, let, let's couple that with some other things. He not only hired Curtis Woods, but he defends Curtis Woods and Jarvis Williams. And some of the tweets I'm about to show you, the context is important. This is when Jarvis Williams and Curtis Woods, at the time this was posted in August of 2019, were on the ropes. Uh, for comments they had made that were consistent with critical race theory. And they posted this article in Christianity Today, which again, pretty consistent with critical race theory assumptions. I'm not going to read for you the quotes. You can read it yourself. It's called, Jesus, deliver us from this racist evil age. And now Moeller tweets it out and says, it's the right way to confront racism. It's biblical, it's theological, it's centered in the gospel, and it's a timely word from Jarvis Williams and Curtis Woods. Now, the effect this had politically at the time in the Southern Baptist Convention was to, for Al Mohler to signal his approval of Jarvis Williams and Curtis Woods, though they were being attacked at the time for promoting critical race theory ideas. Al Mohler also has a, and this is a, a year or two years, no, one year, sorry, before, almost to the day, one year before Resolution 9 was passed, he approves of Russell Moore. Now, Russell Moore had already done a lot of damage by this point, June 1st, 2018, but this is what he says publicly. He says, I just realized that today is Dr. Moore's fifth anniversary as president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Congratulations on a historic half decade of leadership and prayers for many more. He's saying he wants many more years of leadership for Russell Moore. This is someone who is groomed at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary to be ready for the job he took at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and he has been a progressive there pretty much the whole time. And Al Mohler is saying, I, you know, 2018, many, wish for many more years of Russell Moore's leadership. He's also defended Matthew Hall. Matthew Hall has been also, uh, there's been a lot of concerns about him. Uh, and I'm going to show you a little clip of, of that in a second, uh, the, the things that are concerning, just a, a little sample at least. But you can see here that Al Mohler um, in 2019 and 2020 right around the time that Al, that Matthew Hall was being attacked, both of these, uh, all three of these tweets, um, he shows Matthew Hall signing the abstract and principles. Uh, he does, uh, he, he retweets a video where Matthew Hall is trying to defend himself against Russell Fuller's charge that he does approve of critical race theory on some level. And again, Matthew Hall's, I went over this at the time, Matthew Hall's denouncement of critical race theory is basically well, you know, it's secular, it's atheistic, it's Marxist, and we don't believe in those elements. But he never specifically retracts or says anything to um, 
alleviate the concern people have over statements he himself has made that are ethical statements that he has combined with Christian teaching. That's the concern. It always has been. Going against critical race theory in this abstract way, uh, condemning the things that are um, at the base of critical race theory, but not condemning the ethics that grow from it, is exactly the same strategy liberation theologians used when they say, well, we don't agree with Marxism. We're not Marxists. But at the same time, we're going to take the Marxist ethic. Um, and so you, you see uh, Al Mohler defending Matthew Hall. Now, what has Matthew Hall said and done that requires defense? I just want to remind everyone, this is Matthew Hall, uh, some clips, I believe, from 2016, and then one that was posted uh, in 2019. Uh, maybe the middle one is 2018. So there's a few different years here, stemming from 2016 to, to uh, 2019 or so, or, or the end of 2018, somewhere in there. And um, he, here's just some quotes. The first one is Curtis Woods talking about Matthew Hall on the campus of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, a video that is still publicly available. And here's what he has to say, and then you'll hear from Matthew Hall himself. One of the reasons why I love Dr. Hall is because, you know, he's well-versed in critical race theory and history. But he's using terms like whiteness. Some people hear that, and it creates a little angst. What do you mean when you say whiteness, right? Everything that you thought was true about your tradition, your denomination, uh, your own family, uh, there's a whole, I'm going to pull the veil back and what looked like this beautiful narrative of faithfulness and orthodoxy and truth and righteousness and justice, I'm going to peel that back and I'm going to show you the rotting corpse of white supremacy that's underneath that surface. At some point, we got to get to the spot where we are able to look in there and be like, yeah, I'm probably a racist. I'm telling you, like, I'm a racist because I have a heartbeat and until I receive my glorified, completely sanctified uh, body, soul, and mind, uh, I'm going to be doing battle with sin. So these are the, the comments that Matthew Hall has made. There's more, but that's just a sample. And you can see that these are never retracted or apologized for or condemned. They are simply um, brushed under the rug, and then Al Mohler defends Matthew Hall right when these clips are making the rounds. So not only does he defend Matthew Hall, Jarvis Williams, Curtis Woods, he defends Danny Aiken and Adam Greenway precisely at the points in time when their seminaries are being attacked for liberalization. And I'm going to give you two examples here. Number one uh, is uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, and he's, and it really, it, it's more of a defense of the seminary than it is Adam Greenway. But this is when Bobby Lopez was fired. Bobby Lopez was fired, and we went over that, and part of the reason for it was uh, he had enemies at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, he was giving his testimony, which included this um, idea that you, you can be delivered from same-sex attraction. This was a, it was a problem that the seminary didn't want him giving his testimony. He had to get approval for if he was going to do any media anything. You can go check out the episode I did with Bobby Lopez. Right when this, this is breaking news, Al Mohler says this, I have full confidence in the biblical fidelity of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and the commitment of its leadership to a robustly biblical vision of human sexuality and gender. Southern Baptists are well served by six seminaries committed to biblical fidelity. This is his defense of Southwestern. Then you have this. In January 2nd, 2020, this is right when I believe uh, there's, there's been a few controversies with Danny Aiken. If I'm not mistaken, this is when I think there was an announcement that they were going to hire Karen Swallow Pryor and Founders Ministries was going after Danny Aiken. And I'm going to post this. Happy birthday to Danny Aiken. You are a dear friend and brother, older friend, older brother, thankful for you and wishing you a very happy birthday. And he doesn't do this all the time for everyone. This is not a common thing for Albert Mueller if you follow his Twitter. He went out of his way, though, during a time when Danny Aiken was being attacked to defend him. Now, you might say, well, that's fine. I mean, he can defend these people. Uh, they're part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Maybe he's handling this all in-house, which I would disagree with, and I think Scripture would. But let's just, okay, benefit of the doubt. Here's the thing, though, that you have to also make sense of, who he has not defended. He has not defended John MacArthur when... Um, Everyone, it seemed like a lot of people were going after John MacArthur for the Beth Moore comment. Go home, right? He is supposedly friends with him. He did not defend him, did not lift a finger to do anything publicly. Um, he did not defend Founders Ministries when they were being attacked. In fact, he joined in with the attack and he posted a tweet. He said that he had seen the Founders Ministry video trailer and was alarmed at how some respected SBC leaders are represented. 
and accuses them of not being respectful or honest. And then uh, the conservative Baptist network forms, which you think if Mal Mueller's a conservative, he's going to want something that's going to try to hold the convention responsible uh, and keep them from floating to the left. Well, when they formed Al Mohler, instead of defending them against the attacks they were enduring, he said this, the real network of Southern Baptists is called the Southern Baptist Convention. It's going to meet June 9th in 10th in Orlando. I look forward to joining you there. Now, this is, everyone took it at the time that this was an attack on the conservative Baptist network. He never clarified if it was or not, but the timing uh, and saying the real network of Southern Baptists, I mean, it's, it's clear what he's doing. It is clear what he's doing. And he never defended these people. And if he was a conservative and he was concerned about his denomination and drifting to the left, you'd think these are the people he would defend. But he does not defend them. But he does defend the people who are importing some of the worst ideas into seminaries. Now, this is important for you to try to make sense of this first. Which one is it? Does he, why, why the silence when it comes to conservatives, but the vocalization to defend those who are uh, helping the progressives? And just to give you one example, there could be many, but here's one. He is very quick to condemn things like this bigoted letter that uh, was not from a Southern Baptist, but it was posted online. A lot of the progressives were making a big deal about this from the man named John Rutledge, who seems to be kind of an old-style progressive, believes in Dar Darwinism, and we talked about it at the time. And, Al and it gets posted, and Al Mohler immediately calls it vile and disgusting. A vivid reminder of the hate that exists in many hearts, this hateful man hates the SBC. This kind of letter needs to be brought into the light for all to see, lest we think such hatred does not exist. Now, here's the thing. He is very quick to condemn this, but he is silent on the people pushing critical race theory in his own backyard. It doesn't cost Al Mohler anything to condemn this letter. In fact, he'll get accolades for it. I mean, this John Rutledge can't do anything to Al Mohler. But people in the SBC, that if he makes enemies with them, they can and he refuses to condemn them by name, to go against them, to comment on their posts. I want you to see the double standard here. Now, there, like I said, there's one Al Mohler who is the, I'm conservative and I'm against critical race theory, and I'm a complementarian, and I am conservative on sexuality. And then there's this Al Mohler, and I'm gonna play for you this clip. I want you to listen to it and there are various clips from various years. If you're watching, you can kind of see where they're, where they're from. And try to make sense of the conservative Al Mohler in relationship to this. Here we go. I felt it quite necessary in order to, to make clear the gospel, to deny anything like a sexual orientation. And uh, speaking at an event for the National Association of Evangelicals 20-something years ago, I, I made that point. I repent of that. I believe that a biblical theological understanding, a robust biblical theology would point to us that, that human sexual affective uh, profiles and who we are sexually is far more deeply rooted than just the will, if, if that were so easy. But Genesis 3 explains that, helps us to understand that this complex of same-sex challenges coming to us is something that is deeply rooted in the biblical story itself and, and something that we need to take with far greater seriousness than we've taken in the past, understanding that that requires a far more robust gospel response than anything the church has come up with. It's going to take everything we've got in the gospel and in the scriptures uh, to escape uh, the, the trap of history. But we're not, we can't just draw a line. We're going to have to deal it. We're going to have to confront it. We're going to have to recognize the word stain is exactly the right word. It's a stain that we're going to carry as a denomination forever till Jesus comes. I can't associate with any assertion that we do not have a massive problem in the society and in the church with claims of racial superiority and with historic patterns of claims of white racial superiority. There are ongoing manifestations uh, of this same uh, racism, which is the great stain uh, against uh, the American nation and the great stain against much of American Christianity. I, I love the people, respect the people who brought the resolution. I, uh, I would not have brought the resolution if it were, uh, it were me. And, and, uh, and, and there's just some language in it that some of it's so good 
but some of it is 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 so easily uh, taken. Um, well, it's, it's just confusing. Uh, so uh, I just I'll I'll try to say that I. But behind it, behind the resolution, I'm convinced was an effort to try to speak to the real problem of the sin of racism uh, in the United States and in every structure in the United States. So there you have it. Uh, that is Al Mohler, and I'll give you a little context so you understand kind of where those clips are coming from. First one is from 2014 at an ERLC event where he is apologizing, he's repenting, he says, of ever saying that there wasn't such thing as a um, homosexual orientation. The, the, that's been focused on a lot, but the interesting thing is the end of that clip to me, where he talks about we're going to need um, a, a gospel response that is unlike anything the church has ever been able to, to you know, concoct, basically. We're going to have to come up with this gospel response. I want you to, to hear when Amaler talks about the gospel, how he uses it. The gospel is always, it's constant. It's been the same. For 2,000 years, uh, I mean, and of course, those in the Old Testament looking forward to the gospel, they had the same way that they were saved as well. The gospel is, is a constant, and, but we've had firm teaching on it. And it, it, the church doesn't need to come up with something new to face this challenge. Maybe ethically they have to think through some things, uh, but the gospel itself, no. The gospel is uh, the power of God is salvation for those who believe. And those who are in various sins, wh whatever they are, the gospel is there and for them. So um, the, he, he sort of combines almost like a, an element of works or implies that there's an element of works uh, to be combined with the gospel. He says that in the second clip, which is from 2018 at a cooperative program event, uh, that there's a stain of racism in the Southern Baptist Convention and that it's going to take everything in the gospel to try to combat it. Um, again, um, gospel is taking care of that. You know, it's like maybe there's some Christian ethics, but uh, as far as the gospel itself, you know, it almost sounds like there's an insinuation again that there's works combined. And, and, and I have some more quotes I'm going to share with you that are not, they're, they're written down, they're not in video form that are even more clear on this, of, of this sort of combination or this insinuation that there's some kind of works connected with the gospel. Um, and then uh, I believe the next clip where there were two clips where he is talking in 2019 about why he did not sign a Dallas statement on social justice. And he basically says, because there's still racism around. And somehow that statement uh, does not combat that racism. Uh, well, what kind of racism? You know, he doesn't define it in, in, in those videos, but he does in some other places. I'm going to show you those. And then um, at the last clip is from 2020, June 29th, and he's talking about the resolution nine and the committee and saying how much he loves them. And, you know, they were just a little confusing people. Actually, what he says is that people, people took it, it, it opened them up to people taking it the wrong way, basically. Uh, and he cuts himself off and says it's confusing, but, um, defending the resolution committee that came up with this, you know, let's use critical race theory as an analytical tool. And he says that there's racism in every structure in the United States, every structure, apparently. So, this is very consistent with critical race theory. And I know after this clip, he tries to make this sort of departure between systemic and structural racism, and there's a difference. But there's other clips where he's talked about systemic racism. And so it's like, or other quotes that I have of his. So it's very hard to nail Jello to the wall. And Al Mohler is, I'm, I'm convinced he's probably just a good, good politician on these things, trying to split hairs. And there's no hairs to split on this. You're either for it or you're against it. You can't just... Um, you can't kind of take both sides, which is what it sounds like he kind of does. So uh, how do you square this Al Mohler with the conservative Al Mohler who's against critical race theory and strong on issues of sexuality, et cetera? And I'm, I'm going to try to give you that paradigm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, we're, we're not even probably halfway through the material here. So uh, buckle your seatbelt. We're going to keep going here. Um, here's just a few public things that were available i wanted to show you for examples of maybe where racism would be one of them is uh the confederate battle flag he was very strong against that in 2016 very proud and thankful for the southern baptist convention with their clear statement calling for the end of display of the confederate battle flag and um and the reason for this in in an article is because uh, of how it offends people uh certain people and though he knows most people who display it he, he admits this in the article they're not racist. They don't display it for any kind of racist reason. It's just offensive to some people. So um, it's part of this ongoing kind of legacy of racism and slavery. Well, 
it doesn't stop there. Um, in 2020, last year, um, he supported getting rid of the Brodus gavel, which J.D. Greer said, we're going to get rid of this thing because, you know, basically a slave owner had used it and it's named after him. And uh, it's so, I guess, beyond redemption because of that. And Mueller said um, that the reality is you can't tell the story of the SBC without John Brodus. This, that does not mean a president should choose his gavel in 2020 in or in 2021 to tell that story. So he's supporting uh, the what J.D. Greer is doing. Same kind of thing. I mean, this is, I mean, is that racism? By extension, it's race. And this is what how critical race theorists work. They can, they can argue anything to be racist within like two steps or, or three steps or less. I mean, it's, uh, and, and that's what we have is that this, you know, racism is uh, imparted to this gavel. Racism is imparted to this flag um, because of the perception that people have. And then you have the Southern Baptist Convention leaders released statement on the death of George Floyd. He was glad, he says, to join, glad to join in the statement. And we've gone over the statement before. And again, uh, talks about how the ongoing effects of systemic racism are somehow related to what happened with George Floyd. And there's no evidence for it. Again, this is uh, coming from an idea that would be consistent with critical race theory, that racism is normative. It's uh, embedded. It's you, you, you just, if you don't see it, it's because you need the right glasses. I mean, we saw what happened with George Floyd, and I don't think anyone that I know of uh, was approving of what happened, but um, you didn't have the evidence that it was motivated by racism, but Al Mohler thinks it was. So you see, you get a little glimpses here and there into what he thinks of racism, what he thinks it actually is, and it's not probably the same definition that you as a conservative are thinking it is. And that's very important. So here's the question. Is he liberal, is he conservative, or is he an opportunist or a combination? That's the question. And I'm going to just tell you briefly how other conservatives have tried to make sense of Mueller's behavior. And here's two conservatives who have been close to him. One is Tom Rush, who um, was on the board, the uh, trustees for the South, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he made a whole video. It's almost half an hour long. Go check it out. And he talks about Al Mohler, confronting Al Mohler on Sam Albury. Al Mohler saying, okay, you know what? I don't support him anymore. But yet still uh, allowing his videos to be left on the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary website. Uh, letting an interview be performed with him after the fact. Tomar says, I was in the room. And he's tweeted this out before too. I was in the room with him and talking about Matt Hall in critical race theory, and it doesn't seem to do any good. He says he'll say the right thing, but there's no action. Then you have Russell, and, and go check out his video to just check what I'm saying to make sure it's accurate. Then you have Russell Fuller, who was a professor there for years, knew Al Mohler, went to his office many times, and he talks about Al Mohler grilling him when he did not approve of Matt Hall being elected uh, to be the provost. And Al Mohler basically gets angry and hot, you know, under the collar and basically starts insinuating that, you know, uh, Russell Fuller doesn't really believe in systemic racism and, uh, and asks him, you know, very angrily, you know, do you believe uh, in systemic racism and refuses to define it? And it's this whole scenario that Al Mohler's never come out publicly and talked about. Um, but the accusations out there from a man who is very well respected um, so you have these two things out there, and these are two conservatives who basically have insinuated, um, and I know Russell Fuller has insinuated to me that he thinks Mueller is more on the liberal side. And maybe there's some opportunism there, but that, that there's a liberal bent that Mueller has. Um, Tom Rush, um, you know, certainly doesn't think that he's behaving in a conservative manner. So these, these aren't things that I'm saying. These are things that two people who know Al Mueller personally have said. Um, and you can go check out their videos where they're saying much of this. Now, this would, if, if that's true, this would confirm in some ways a pattern. Um, this is from a book called The Evangelicals by Frances Fitzgerald, which came out uh, not too long ago. And she talks about uh, when Honeycutt, who was the um, previous president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, who was liberal, resigned in 1992, weary of the struggles between the faculty and the trustees, the search committee with Honeycutt's support appointed Mueller, then just 33 on the assumption that he could resolve the differences better than candidates from the outside. Instead, Mueller moved the seminary abruptly to the right, adding positions on abortion, homosexuality, and women in the ministry to the litmus test for future professors and causing turmoil in the faculty. Now, at the time, this was considered to be the, the reason that Al Mohler was a conservative. He's a conservative for this reason. He has to be. I mean, he, um, he's moving it to the right. But Honeycutt thought Mueller was going to negotiate this, 
disagreement that he wasn't able to negotiate, but he wanted Mueller in that position. So there was some thought that Mueller would carry on Honeycutt's legacy or Honeycutt's ideas. And this is confirmed over and over. And you can actually go watch. There's a documentary on it um, from, I think it was PBS put it out from the early 90s, specifically on this issue. Um, and and I, I know in a previous video, I had played the clip where you had professors from the, the Southern Baptist uh, Sem Theological Seminary saying, Al Mohler's an opportunist. Al Mohler, uh, I think there's one one um, clip of that I, I'm, I'm thinking about. I think it's where, where Honeycutt or one of the professors says, whether or not Mueller was conservative or, or whether or not the SBC was going in a conservative or a liberal direction, Al Mohler would have been the president because he was an opportunist. And right at the moment Al Mohler took over, the, con the convention was going in a very conservative direction. So Al Mohler did a 180. He changed his views on a whole host of things. The, the, the major one, though, that gets a lot of attention is the complementarian issue, that he went from being more of an egalitarian to being a complementarian kind of overnight. And so this is, um, this is out there. Now, I'm not saying whether that's, that take is true or not true. I'm just saying it is consistent, this opportunist idea with what Tom Rush and Russell Fuller have said. And it does. it is a paradigm that does help make sense of um, what uh, the contradictory things it seems like we find from Al Mohler. Now, there's, there's another angle to this, though, I want to share. There's something that, in my opinion, is very important because it is directly related to the gospel, and I want to get back to that because there, there's a greater question here, and that is, is Al Mohler promoting false teaching or is Al Mohler covering for false teachers? That's, to me, a bigger question here. Um, oh, before I get there, just some, some scriptures on the screen there about double-mindedness. Double-mindedness is a bad thing. So at the very least, even if Al Mohler isn't promoting false teaching or if people who promote false teaching, uh, he's at least being, you know, there, there's some inconsistency here. And double-mindedness is very bad according to scripture. So I'm not going to read all these scriptures to you. Here's just three of them. And you can do your own study on that from the Bible. Not someone you want leading your convention. Let's get to the false teaching though. Um, there were false teachers in Galatia, in the book of Galatians. Uh, the Apostle Paul categorized two different groups of people responsible for advancing another gospel, which incorporated elements of the law. First group he referred to as the false brethren who desired to boast. Ultimately, they stood accused before God. In, in common usage, the term translated as false brethren referred to traitors within a city who allowed the enemy to sneak into the city and survey its defenses. They were enemies within the church. That's what they were. Paul used similar language in the epistles, in his epistle to the Philippians, when he referred to the false circumcision and enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. Those who actively fuse the demands of social justice with the gospel are in this category. And as you know from some previous videos, I've put Walter Strickland and I put Jarvis Williams into this category. Because I can show you chapter and verse, here's the false teaching. And it's absolutely false teaching. And they're in these institutions teaching the next generation of pastors. Now, there were also some opportunists in Galatia, though, and I want you to consider whether or not Al Mohler might fall into this category, because there's two categories. There's two, as far as I can see, when there's when Paul presents two options for when there's a false gospel going forward and those who are propagating it or helping to propagate it, there's two options. There's one, they're the false teachers, and then there's two, those who, like the Apostle Peter, stood condemned because out of fear, they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Now, that's different from preaching another gospel. Being, not, not being um, obscure about the gospel is not the same as, being, as preaching another gospel. Paul described them as hypocrites whose motive was avoiding persecution. They were not accursed, but they were guilty of enabling those who were. Christians who are orthodox in their own personal theology, but fail to publicly oppose another gospel and knowingly platform those who promote another gospel are in this category. Who does that sound like to you? I'm very open to Al Mohler being in this category. And, and I'm saying, I'm open to also this. I'm open to, to, to some false teaching because I'm going to show you some more quotes that lead me to believe that that could be a possibility. But I'm actually a little more open to this because Mohler is confusing. And when you read that line about they weren't just being straightforward about the truth of the gospel, that's Mohler um, in my mind. And so um, I think these, both of these options might be tenable, but this is the one that I'm, I, I feel more comfortable with right now. And I, I'm going to give you some examples. So um, number one, I see a shift with, with Mohler. We already talked about his shift in 2014 where he repented of denying the existence of same-sex sexual orientation. But the next year, he condemned reparative therapy. And he had signaled support for it 11 years prior. So he's making these public overtures 
um, to, I guess, a progressive tendency, it seems like, uh, and changing his views to, to be a little closer to that. Um, his views on racism have also adjusted in ways which parallel a more new left or critical race theory now inspired understanding. In a 2018 interview with Jarvis Williams, Mueller stated that his biblical theology was in a very different place than it was in 1995, when he was part of an effort by the Southern Baptists to separate themselves from racism of the past by passing a resolution apologizing for complicity in slavery and racism. At the time, Gary Frost, the denomination's first African-American vice president, accepted the apology on behalf of black Christians. Since then, Mueller came to realize that it was impossible to separate the denomination from complicity and racism, though. He stated, it's going to take everything we got in the gospel and the scriptures to escape the trap of history. And I played for you this quote. But we can't just draw a line. We're going to need to deal with it. We're going to have to confront it. We're going to have to recognize the word stain is exactly the right word. The stain that we're going to carry as a denomination forever until Jesus comes. But it's a stain that if we deal with rightly can actually show the power of Christ. In Moeller's view, racism would always characterize the Southern Baptist Convention on some level despite efforts to eradicate it. In contrast, the Apostle Paul wrote that those justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ were not defined by their former sin patterns. Which, that's a problem, guys, <laughs> when Moeller is seemingly contradicting Paul. Um, he believes racism is systemic, implicit, normative. Let me give you some quotes. He says that um, when he refused to sign the statement on social justice in the gospel, and, you, and I played for you this one, that he could not associate with any assertion that we do not have a massive problem in the society and in the church with claims of white racial superiority. Around the same time, he released a report on slavery and racism in the history of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, in which he lamented how Southern Baptists were guilty of a sinful absence of historical curiosity by ignoring the deep racism in the story of their denomination. In his contribution to removing the stain of racism from the SBC, during the same year, Mueller characterized the United States as conceived in racism, though every society showed the stain of racism in every epoch. Think about that. Every society in every epoch has the stain of racism. So I guess, I mean, like, <laughs> it's, I mean, th th that in a way just waters it down, I guess. It's just like, oh, I guess it's just everywhere. So, um, but that the United States, he says specifically, though, was conceived in racism. More recently, he said, there existed a real problem of sin of racism in the United States and in every structure in the United States. Moeller's assessment of the continuing prevalence of racism is similar to the way sociologists in the 70s, such as Michael Harrington, diagnosed a new racist dispensation unrectified by civil rights legislation and resulting from the racist economic structure. It's a structural racism that you hear in the 70s, guys. That's what Moeller is advocating now. Now, what specifically, what acts constitute racist acts? Well, let me give you some examples. I know I gave you some earlier. In the aftermath of the Ferguson, Missouri grand jury decision to acquit Darren Wilson in the shooting of Michael Brown, Moeller reinforced the idea that the incident was connected to a greater narrative of police mistreating communities of color who weren't just making these problems up. He stated that Christians should be foremost in considering the accusations and concerns coming from the African-American community and implied the nation's system of justice was not fair on the questions of race and the law. After the death of Breonna Taylor, Moeller contrasted his helpful encounters with Louisville police with those in African-American neighborhoods who are afraid when they see blue lights behind them. When George Floyd died, Moeller signed a statement connecting the situation to inequitable distributions of justice, like segregation and slavery, though no evidence existed suggesting any of these police encounters were motivated by racial animosity on the part of the officer. Moeller connected them to what he believed were pervasive systemic disparities. Again, guys, you can't see the racism. Why not? Because it's systemic. It's invisible. It's embedded. That's what racism is in Mueller's view. At least it's part of what racism is. Now, here's, here's the, the main part here that everyone needs to pay attention to. So please listen up here. This is, this is super important. Bad teaching on the gospel. This, and I put bad teaching there instead of false teaching. I mean, suppose someone could have said false teaching. I put bad teaching because, again, I'm leaning more towards he's not being clear about the gospel. And that's what's going on. But look, I'm, op I'm open. I'm open to someone arguing, hey, John, no, this is actually false teaching, some of this. But let me read for you some quotes here. For Moeller, racism was, quote, the antithesis of the gospel and a, quote, heresy. No one could believe sim simultaneously while, quote, rightfully, rightly presenting the gospel because it denied, quote, the full power of the substitutionary atonement. 
Okay, so so listen to that. Race, you can't be a racist and preach the gospel. You can't because that denies it, the full power of the substitutionary atonement. So you can't have it. Yet, at the same time, Moeller thought that the racist defenders of slavery, who, and this is his words, not mine, who founded his seminary, affirmed, quote, Baptist orthodoxy, preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people, and held to the same gospel he himself believed. Okay, which one is it, right? So you, you, either, so you can be racist and preach the gospel, but at the same time, you can't be racist and preach the gospel. Which one is it? And this is the problem with Al Mohler. He has said both. And if for those who are doubting me, go to the info section. There's a link there. You can go check out the document that has this all outlined. Read it for yourself. Uh, chapter and verse. This tension in Mohler's understanding of the gospel came out again in 2019 when he recommended an article co-authored by Jarvis Williams and centered on the gospel. in the gospel. Those are his words about it. The article argued that the gospel was meant to reconcile ethnically diverse groups, that racism and white supremacy were opposed to the gospel, and that Christians should use the gospel to combat racism. Yet, it also claimed that Christians needed to be aware of their complicity in racism through their silence about racism and failure to, here it goes, apply the whole gospel. So Christians don't have the whole gospel. There's that language again. Moeller agreed with William's approach when he wrote, the gospel needs to be preached to the church due to its complicity in racial injustice and systemic wrong. So, so here's the question. Is, is the gospel then enough? Or is it that we don't have the whole gospel? Because there's this problem that he says that is still going on apparently with racism in the church. And it's a failure that, that we don't have the whole gospel. Um, that the gospel needs to be preached to the church because the church clearly is, is forgetting it or doesn't have it, etc. Um, this is the problem that we have. So, Moeller um, seemed to both affirm and deny the legitimacy of the gospel of Christians who held to orthodox belief yet also participated on some level in cultures or systems that were somehow connected to a version of racism. Such confusing and contradictory language echoed the words of the Apostle Paul who accused Peter of being not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, which Peter knew. Like many social justice advocates in evangelical institutions, Moeller promotes the multi-ethnic church model, which connects the work of promoting diversity to the gospel. At Southern Seminary's 2015 convocation, Moeller announced that authentic gospel churches would look more and more like a changing demographic map, and that if the church gets ethnic diversity wrong, they were getting the gospel wrong. In 2018, he stated his intention for Southern Seminary to increasingly represent many races and nations and ethnicities as part of looking more like the people born anew by the gospel. For the Southern Baptist Convention, he wanted transformation through removing racism stain by stain as a sign to the world of the power of the gospel. Again, linking the gospel to all these works, guys. Think about this. Um, as a result, Moeller opposed displaying the Confederate battle flag, using the Brodus gavel during denominational meetings, and established a $5 million scholarship for African-American students. This is su supposed to be showing the world the power of the gospel. Um, this is, you know, the church needs to be somehow multi-ethnic, or else they're getting the gospel wrong. Now let's talk about that multi-ethnic church model, because this is, this is where Jarvis Williams argues, based on critical race theory, everyone into. you got to promote this multi-ethnic church model. That's where it all leads. That's the telos of this. And, and of course, there's more packed into that, that equity, diversity, inclusion agenda. But Moeller is getting us to the same place. He's driving us to the same location, giving us the same arguments, essentially. Because this is what he, what, what he basically says, that we, um, we need to become more diverse. It's something we artificially manufacture. And that's somehow part of the gospel, these works. Uh, they, some have speculated that this posturing of his is because of this incredible strategy to become more diverse in the denomination in order to survive changing demographic trends and the scrutiny of social justice advocates. Because of Moeller's history in promoting orthodoxy, it is hard to understand his newfound desire to use the gospel as a way to justify manufacturing ethnic diversity. The way in which he endorses figures like Russell Moore and Jarvis Williams, who do not advocate another gospel, who, who do, I should say, advocate another gospel, also causes confusion. Yet, as Paul confronted Peter for behaving like the Judaizers, so too must Christians today confront both those who add social justice imperatives to the gospel and those who obscure the gospel. And I'll leave you to figure out which one it is. Is he adding social justice imperatives to the gospel 
or is he just obscuring the gospel? I want, I'll be, I'll be honest with you guys. I just want to believe he's obscuring the gospel. That's what I want to believe. It is hard for me though, with some of these quotes, because I can see it right there. It looks, it really looks like he's adding some kind of works element to the gospel. So best case scenario, he's obscuring the gospel and he's like Peter and needs to be confronted. Now he has been, he has been confronted by Tom Rush and Russell Fuller at the very least, and probably others that we don't know about, at least publicly. I might know about some (laughs) privately. Um, I do know he's been confronted and this is the man who wants to lead the Southern Baptist convention. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. That's just not, um, someone needs to understand the gospel. Uh, and, and that it's not just about understanding it. Someone needs to articulate the gospel clearly to be the president of the largest Protestant denomination, uh, in the United States, I would think. So there's my two cents on Al Mohler. I hope that was helpful for all of you. I hope that made sense of some things. Again, go to the info section and find the facts. I have listed there uh, what I just read for you, all the sourcing for that. Um, you can check it out for yourself. Do your own homework. It's not, you know, it's not like I'm just uh, coming up with fake quotes from Al Mohler. I'm trying to make sense of his public positions. So God bless. Hope that was helpful. And even if it hurt a little because you like Al Mohler a lot, I hope at least this is causing you to rethink some things. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.